Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. When the earth is cracking behind your feet, you go forward, one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. Bess Kalb, nobody will tell you this but me. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia, and today I'm recapping the books I read in May. Guys, so many books. I somehow, someway, read 14 books in May, which feels like some kind of personal record. And also I truly don't know how that happened because May has been one of those months that has felt like it has lasted forever and yet also has gone by in the blink of an eye. I don't really know what's happening in terms of time anymore. And the bookshelf is humming along in a way that is stressful. <laughs> so I think as any small business owner would tell you right now. And so I truly don't know how we made this happen, but I think I can probably thank my pool and I can thank having Sundays and Mondays off. Olivia and I do not work on Mondays. The store is technically closed to the public on Mondays and we have other staff kind of come in and run things behind the scenes in a way I am very grateful for. And so that has allowed me and Olivia to take two days off, which has been a huge blessing and I guess is how I finished 14 books. I don't know. 14 books is a lot though, which means we need to go ahead and dive right in (laughs) because I want to be cognizant of everyone's time, even though time doesn't matter (laughs) anymore. Uh, The first book I read in May was Meet Me at Midnight by Jessica Pennington. I ordered this one for myself after seeing it, I think honestly come through as a special order through one of you, probably Uh, either a podcast listener or an Instagram follower or a customer. Someone ordered this book and it looked charming. And so I thought I'd give it a go. Um, This is a book about a prank war between two uh, teens who have just graduated high school. And now they are, you know, spending their last summer before college at their respective families' beach homes. But they have this prank war. They've been enemies since, you know, middle school, maybe. And so they have this prank war every summer. And this summer, they have to kind of join forces and kind of have this prank war against the woman who kicked them out of their respective lake homes. So very fun setting. Also, I believe I have mentioned maybe on the podcast, maybe on the Patreon podcast, that this very much has Beach Read vibes, which we're going to talk about Beach Read by Emily Henry. That is one of the books I read in May. This is a great young adult counterpart to that book because you've got this fantastic lake setting. I am an ocean girl through and through or a Gulf Coast girl, I guess, through and through. But I now just want to reside at the lake. If there's a lake home for sale, someone someone do reach out. I am very charmed by it. And I think that's because I read this book, Meet Me at Midnight, and then I also read Beach Read later in the month. And so I loved the setting of this book. It is steamy for a YA book. These are both kids who are about to go into college, and I think the content maybe reflects that. But I alluded to reading a book in like an evening, like staying up until 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. reading. That does not happen to me often, but occasionally I just 
start a book and cannot put it down. And so I have book hangover the next day. And I alluded to that on Instagram. And the book I was referring to was this one. I started it, I think, one night, you know, at 1030 or 11 and just proceeded to read the entire thing. I just, I've, I don't know. I really liked the characters. I fell in love with the setting and I thought it was really, I think charming is the word I have already used, but it is the right word for this book. Nothing too dense or heavy here and that's fine. It's called Meet Me at Midnight by Jessica Pennington. I followed that up with The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Look, I adored Britt Bennett's debut novel, The Mothers. I have probably talked about it enough on this podcast and, you know, on Instagram and in the store where you might be sick of hearing me talk about it. And I always want to be careful about overhyping books. But The Mothers is just beautifully written, an outstanding piece of literature, in my opinion. It is available in paperback now. Britt Bennett's new book, The Vanishing Half, releases this coming Tuesday. This is my favorite book of the year. And I want to be careful when I say that because I have read a lot of really lovely books this year. A lot of great dysfunctional family lit, All Adults Here by Emma Straub comes to mind. There's another book I'm going to talk about later this episode that is going to be in my top 10 of the year. So I've read a lot of good books. I just think it's going to be hard to top this one. I... I believe so profoundly in what Britt Bennett does and in her talent and her storytelling is so good and so vibrant. And this is a story with a pretty compelling, just right up front, a really compelling premise. Uh, The Vanishing Half is about two twin sisters who grow up in this Louisiana town and they eventually, the book opens with these twins leaving this town they have grown up in, and it kind of causes a stir in this small town. Um, They move and live in New Orleans, but soon those twins separate and they go their separate ways in in pretty much every way you can imagine that term. So one of the twins moves to Washington, D.C. She proceeds to live her adult life as an African-American woman, which is the community in which she was raised and born into. And then one of the sisters, one of the twins, moves And we discover throughout the novel where she moves and where she lives her life, but she chooses to live her life as a white woman. And so there is a lot in this book about belonging, racial identity, growing up in a small town, moving and changing your life and uprooting who you are, a lot about home and family. I, all the themes in this book are themes I love. And so that's why I can easily say it's my favorite book of the year because it tackles all of these things that I love reading about and add to that, that it's told in Britt Bennett's really beautiful way. It's just, it's just to me, an astonishing book. And again, I hesitate to hype it too much, um, but it is what it is. It's, it's, it's a book that I think will top my list for 2020. So it's Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. It is out on June 2nd. Next, I read Hidden Valley Road by Robert Kolker. This is a book I kind of read throughout April and May. It's not one you're going to speed through, but don't let that deter you because this is really good nonfiction. Robert Kolker wrote a book called Lost Girls, which I loved. It came out a few years ago. He's a journalist. I like journalistic nonfiction. This is his new book. You've probably seen it because it is an Oprah book club pick. It's been, I feel like it's been a lot of places, Uh, kind of made a splash when it very first came out. This is about a family of 12, kind of a typical baby boomer family. This is a true story about the Galvins. Um, They're a typical family. They have 12 kids during the baby boom, but 
I believe it is six of their 10 sons wind up being diagnosed with schizophrenia. And so if you like, do you guys remember the book, um, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks? If you liked that and liked that kind of scientific nonfiction, but also with really good storytelling, I think you're going to find that in Hidden Valley Road. I really liked how he wove um, the history of maybe mental health and mental health diagnoses, and he wove that with the story of the Galvins. The Galvins will break your heart. This is Henrietta Lacks meets Educated. A lot goes on in the Galvin household that I was not maybe prepared for. So let me just prepare you that a lot goes on in that household that is hard to read about. That doesn't mean I think we shouldn't read about it. I really am grateful for the Galvin story and for what their family has meant to progress in the mental health field. This is a really good book. Again, not when you're going to speed through. It kind of alternates chapters where one chapter is about the Galvin family and then one chapter is about maybe schizophrenia or the history of the study of mental health. But I think I really liked that. I kind of liked that it went back and forth. I did not feel bogged down by the more scientific research heavy elements of this book. I think Robert Kolker addresses those in a very user-friendly, a very lay people kind of way. This book is fascinating. I am so glad I read it. It is one that I really did read just because we had so many copies at the store. Oprah picked it. I thought it would be worth a shot. And I'm so glad I read it because at the end, I felt kind of like I had accomplished something like you sometimes do when you finish a really sturdy work of nonfiction. But also it was really just interesting and allowed me, I don't know, I'm so grateful for books like this that allow me a glimpse inside a world I really don't know very much about. So if you like The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, if you liked Educated, I highly, highly recommend Hidden Valley Road. It is out right now in hardback. I have also heard that the audiobook is good. I have not read the audiobook, but that could be an option for you too if you're a little wary right now of nonfiction. I think all of our reading lives are so <laughs> in are so in turmoil right now. They're so upside down that I know it's hit or miss as to what books are going to hit and land well and which are not. Um, but you could try Hidden Valley Road, I think, in audiobook format as well. In a very different kind of theme and kind of mode, I then read American Royals by Catherine McGee. This is a book you have seen everywhere. I think it might have been a book of the month pick a while ago. It is now out in paperback. The sequel comes out this fall, early fall, if I'm not mistaken. American Royals, if you are not familiar, is imagining if America was a monarchy rather than a democracy. So it imagines this world in which George Washington was not our first president, but our first king. And I was reading this alongside, not intentionally, it just happened this way. I was reading this alongside You Never Forget Your First, which I'll talk about next. And so I absolutely loved the concept and the idea behind this book. I think the premise is imaginative and interesting and just a fascinating world that we could have lived in. I just find it so interesting, especially with maybe a, a slight interest uh, in the the British monarchy. So I loved the premise of this book. This is very much a young adult romance novel. And so 
Uh, which, by the way, I'm fine with. I, I like a lot of YA romance or rom-com lit. But I think I was so swept up in the world building that I really was looking for maybe a book that would have delved more into that. However, if you are a YA romance fan, I have a feeling you will love this because it is very heavy on the pairings and on the kind of love stories of the children of the current monarch. So you've got three siblings. You've got the oldest sister, who's obviously feels to me very much like a Queen Elizabeth stand-in. She's very responsible. She is about to be named, or she is next in line to the throne, and she will be the first queen of America. I do find it funny that that, that still we will have not had, a, even in this imaginary world, we will not have had a female leader. It's fine. So she's going to be the first queen of America. She has two siblings who are twins. One is kind of this wild child. And then the other one is kind of this, you know, beloved prince, even though he also is kind of a wild child, but he's the only boy. And so America loves him. And each of them have their own kind of love story element. I think it's very fun. American Royals is very fun. If you have not read it yet, I encourage you to try it. Just go into it knowing what it is, uh, which is it is very much a romance book. Somebody commented on Instagram, I think that there's a lot of kissing in closets. And that's exactly right. There's a lot of kissing in closets. Here's what you should know though. I was hooked pretty quickly on this book enough that I was reading the physical copy and then I had to stop to cook dinner and I literally downloaded the audiobook right then so that I could listen to it while I cooked dinner. So it is compelling and it is it is a page turner. It's one of those kind of like meet me at midnight that you will start and not really want to put down. I don't know if I'll read the sequel or not. I just, it totally depends on what my reading life looks like in the fall. But I give a lot of props to Catherine McGee for a really interesting, thoughtful premise. And then it is like a very fun romp if you're looking for a young adult romance novel. So that's American Royals by Catherine McGee. Then kind of alongside that, so I was reading Hidden Valley Road as my nonfiction. And then I began reading You Never Forget Your First by Alexis Coe. This is, I mean, that title is amazing. Um, this is a biography of George Washington. It is by a female historian, which is very exciting. And I adored it. I loved it because of the length. I think what for better or worse, what deters me from reading a lot of biographies is the length. And and I'm sorry about that. Like, I wish that wasn't true. I think it wasn't true in my pre-bookshelf reading life. But now that I try to stay up to date on so many different kinds of books and so many different kind of new and exciting titles, it is hard for me to be willing to devote a lot of time to a tome. Um, that's part of the reason Hunter and I are reading Anna Karenina together is because without that push and without that accountability, I probably would not read that right now. So if you are like me and you get really deterred by the length of a typical historical biography, I would really encourage you to pick up this one. I think Alexis Coe did an amazing job of telling the story of George Washington's life. I didn't feel like it left out a lot, despite it being a pretty thin biography. The tone of the book is both tongue-in-cheek, as the title would suggest, but also deeply devoted to fact and deeply devoted to nuance, which I also really appreciated. This did not shy away from the fact that George Washington was a slave owner. It touched on his married life with Martha quite a bit. If you're a Hamilton fan, there's some stuff in here about Alexander Hamilton. 
about the battle that George Washington lost and that really changed George Washington. I just thought this was so well done. And I hadn't read a book like this in years probably, which is sad to say, I don't like saying that, but this is You Never Forget Your First, out now, great George Washington biography. I'm actually reading it alongside my cousin. She and I decided to read it kind of together. And I cannot wait to talk to her about it because there's so much I didn't really know. And this does a great job of kind of going through the first years of American government. And again, does not shy away from the nuance of, of slave ownership. I think because George Washington freed his slaves, um, in his will, I think we cut him some slack and I appreciate that Alexis Co. doesn't do that. She kind of dives in to that with a little more detail and with a little bit more of a microscope. And I'm really grateful for her perspective. So this is, you never forget your first by Alexis Co. Highly, highly recommend. Then I read Catherine house by Elizabeth Thomas. This is one Olivia read and I immediately read as well. Like she handed it immediately to me and I'm so glad that she did. This is going to be fun for, it's like a fun thriller for fans of Campus Lit. So Catherine Thomas has created this world in which you've almost got this cult or secret society in the form of a very elite boarding school where you can go after high school graduation, but it appeals. The school really attracts a certain kind of student. And you'll see as you read why it appeals to this certain kind of student or this certain kind of young adult. This is not a young adult novel, but it is about kind of three years. This this campus or this college experience at this boarding school lasts for three years. So it covers all three years and through the eyes of one of the students in particular, but you get a really neat cast of characters. It is chilling and quietly intense. I feel like that is really where my head has been at in terms of thrillers. I kind of have enjoyed this, these books with like this kind of somber undertones where, you know, something is going to happen. It's suspenseful, but it's not a like, you know, it's not this big climactic moment. Instead, it's kind of woven throughout the whole thing. I really like this one. It's good for fans of the secret history and <laughs> skulls, <laughs> skulls with Joshua Jackson. Anybody recognize that reference? Yeah, this is really fun. Olivia liked it. I liked it. Highly recommend if you are looking for like a campus novel thriller. I think I also mentioned it on a podcast episode previously. If you have graduated college or high school recently and you want to feel better about what's happening in your life, I highly recommend uh, The uh, Catherine House because what a disaster. <laughs> what a disaster it would be. It also led me and Olivia, I love when she and I read similarly or we pass books to each other because then we have these really interesting conversations where I kind of wound up asking her if she would agree to to the rules of a Catherine house uh, and how she would react to rules like that. And so we kind of ask each other, like, would we go to a, to an experience like this, or would we go to a college or boarding school like this? Why or why not? It was just very, very fun. So I think it could be fun for book clubs too. Okay. Then I read and just laughed and wept this will be in my top 10 of the year. Um, I read a lot of good books this month. This is Nobody Will Tell You This But Me by Bess Kalb. I started the episode with a quote from this book. My little ARC is just ripped to shreds with my little rippings <laughs> where I mark my favorite quotes. Guys, if you have a close-knit relationship with a grandparent or with an older person, um, maybe an older person in your community or at your church, this book, oh my gosh, it'll just make you feel all the things, but not in a manipulative way. So I 
don't even know why I picked this one up, except it came up in a new release Tuesday podcast episode and I had seen it come in. And then when I realized what it was about, I immediately was like, I need to read this. I'm so intrigued. So Bess Cobb has written this memoir, but she has written it from the perspective of her now deceased grandmother. And so the whole book is not really in Bess's voice, but it is in her grandmother's voice. And her voice is so vivid and so realistic. I felt like I knew exactly who Bess's grandmother was. It's kind of divided into three sections uh, about Bess's grandmother's kind of childhood and growing up then about her life as a mother, and then about her relationship with Bess, her granddaughter. If you are a member of a matriarchy, um, which I am, I am named after two of my grandmothers. Um, The women in my family are very large presences in my life. My mom, my aunts, like I have a long lineage of strong, interesting, funny women. This book will tear you apart. I was hooked. It's not a very long book. You'll read it in a couple of sittings um, or maybe over a week if you want to like take it, (laughs) take it in pieces. But I finished it by my pool one night and just wept, but in the best possible way. Like it felt genuinely cathartic because at the same time I was crying, Bess also has hilarious, absolutely hilarious things to say in her grandmother's voice. Um, Bess Kalb, if I'm not mistaken, is a writer for the Jimmy Kimmel show which like, who knew? Um, but she is very funny. And so it's not like this whole book is this just this dramatic sob fest. Instead, I mean, you will be laughing out loud because I guarantee you know somebody like this. You know somebody like Bess's grandmother. I actually think if you, okay, let me think. If you loved the movie Lady Bird, or if you like Gilmore Girls for its kind of generational storytelling, or Jane the Virgin, or Never Have I Ever for these for these matriarchies, if that's why you love or are drawn to those books, I highly recommend, nobody will tell you this but me, it is outstanding. I adored it. I want to sell it to everyone. I want to get a copy for every woman in my family. I'm sorry Mother's Day is over because this would be a great Mother's Day book. I loved it. I loved it so much. I feel like I'm gushing about it, but it's true. It's genuine. That's It's so genuine. My love for this book is so real. <laughs> um, so it's Nobody Will Tell You This But Me by Bess Kalb. It's so good. <laughs> okay, next up, the book you've been seeing everywhere, Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. I love Curtis Sittenfeld. You have heard me talk about her many times. I loved the book Prep. I loved Eligible. I still need to read the short story collection. I know I would love it. I just love Curtis Sittenfeld's writing. Rodham is so good. Here's the thing. Just go into it knowing that the first quarter is a lot of Bill and Hillary sexy times. <laughs> and I feel bad even saying that because it feels so personal because we actually know who these people are. If you're not familiar with the premise of Curtis Sittenfeld's latest, basically she is imagining if Hillary Rodham had not married Bill Clinton. So it's this imagined history of Hillary Rodham's life without the marriage to Bill Clinton. There is still a romance between Hillary and Bill. You'll get that in the first quarter of the book, especially. And it is R-rated, I feel like. I mean, it. yeah, there's a lot in there, a lot of detail. (laughs) And I don't know how Curtis Sittenfeld did this because I feel like this book could have gone so horribly wrong. (laughs) Um, And instead it didn't. I think that's kudos to Curtis Sittenfeld. I think that's to do with her talent. This book could have gone wrong in a million different ways, but I don't think that it does. Again, go into it knowing that the first quarter is what it is. 
I do understand why she wrote it that way, because I think it's to really help us understand why Hillary and Bill maybe fell for each other. The book then proceeds, like I said, this imagined history without a Bill and Hillary Clinton marriage. I think much like American Royals by Catherine McGee, I just think is genius in the term in its in its premise. I think Rodham is genius in its premise. And I think the direction that she takes it is fascinating. I also think if your book club, and I actually really do recommend this no matter what side of the political spectrum you reside on, I really do think that this is just worthy literature and interesting literature. I wish book clubs would read it because not just because of you know, the famous person it's about, but also just because I think there's a conversation to be had about what we owe our public figures, what kind of privacy we owe them. What does a book like this mean for the real Hillary Clinton? Um, I mean, it has her picture on the cover. The book is not entirely flattering. There are certain parts of it that are flattering, but it very much feels like it's about a real life human being, but it's fiction. And so you catch yourself. I mean, I caught myself a couple times in the book trying to remember, okay, wait a minute, what really happened versus what didn't? Um, I had just watched the Hulu documentary about Hillary Clinton, which I do think is really good. And Jordan and I a while ago had watched... We got into the American Experience documentaries a few years ago, and we watched a lot of presidential ones, including the Bill Clinton one. And so if you are familiar with a lot of parts of their story, which I feel like if you grew up in the 90s, you probably are, then some of this book is going to feel very familiar. And at the same time, much of it is imagined. Much of what happens is imagined history. I think it is so clever and so well done. I really liked it. I imagine it could be in my top 10 this year. Um, the writing is great and it lives up to the hype for me. And also it was really thought provoking again, regardless of kind of where you fall on the political spectrum, because I think Curtis Sittenfeld does a really good job of being nuanced and thoughtful and making these characters, not ideologues, but real people. They very much feel like complicated politicians. So that is Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld. I really liked it. I really did. Can't wait to talk to people about it. That's why I miss customers. <laughs> I do miss customers in the storage so that we could talk about things like this. Instead, I'm talking to you, <laughs> but I can't hear you talking back. Okay, next up was another kind of hot title for May. And I think will be a hot title all summer long. It's Beach Read by Emily Henry. I picked this one up because truly we did so many pre-orders of this and Rodham. They both came out last week and I think we are still packaging up like orders with both of these books in them. This is a paperback original rom-com. Emily Henry has written a couple of YA novels if I'm not mistaken. Gosh, I think this might be her first adult book. I don't want to don't quote me on that because I'm not 100% sure about that. What I loved about Beach Read was that it was far more it was far more in depth than I anticipated. It had a lot more depth than I was anticipating. The two main characters, Augustus and January, which I did I did have issues with those names for a hot minute, but the characters are Augustus and January. January is a romance writer and Augustus is a literary fiction writer. They are both suffering from writer's block for different reasons. They rent or live in these two lake houses. That's why it kind of reminded me of Meet Me at Midnight. And they have known each other since college when they met in like a writing workshop. And they hated each other. And they kind of had this intense rivalry. 
uh, think Gilbert Blythe and Anne Shirley kind of situation. And so they kind of were highly competitive and then they obviously went their separate ways in the publishing industry. Uh, throughout the book, obviously some romance ensues. This is a pretty steamy book, if you ask me. I was able to handle it, but I think one thing you should know about me is that I do tend to skim um, when things get a little, uh, a little heated for my taste. <laughs> and so you should just go into it knowing that I believe this is strong PG-13, maybe even R. So just, I feel like movie ratings are the best way I know how to explain this. So just go into it knowing that. But there's also a lot happening here outside of the romantic storylines and the romantic plot. There's also a lot about writer's block. It reminded me of writers and lovers in that way. There is a lot here about grief and overcoming hardship. Every good rom-com needs great side characters. I think this book has that. I think if any of those things appeal to you, I think you'll really like Beach Read. I really did enjoy it. It was a pleasant surprise to me. I really didn't know some, I don't know, not every rom-com is for every person. Not every book is for every person. So I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about this, but I really liked it. And I found it to be highly compelling. It was another one that I finished in a couple of sittings, kind of out by the pool. So Beach Read by Emily Henry. It is out now in paperback. I took a departure or a little bit of one and read Old Love Good Girls by Gail Godwin. I say it's a departure. The cover reads very autumnal to me, um, but it did just come out a couple, gosh, a few weeks ago, maybe in March. Look, if you are a fan of The Dearly Beloved, I think I might have found your next book. Um, it is different from The Dearly Beloved. These are not the same types of books, but I do think they're comparable in their tone. They're both quiet books. Not a ton happens in the in Old Love Good Girls, um, but I think the writing is really good. This is about two young women who meet at this girls' college called Love Good. They meet there when they are, you know, 18. This book is very much, I'm trying to think when this book starts. I want to say in the 30s, and then it goes, maybe it's even the 50s through the 80s. That might be right, 50s through the 80s. Um, so you cover a lot of territory here. It's historical fiction, but I was not bothered by it. I really thought it was original. Starts off kind of as a campus novel where you've got this kind of fun um, girls college to read about. But then these two young women who are serendipitously set up as roommates, they kind of go their separate ways. And I think I said in the literary luncheon last week that I've been reading a lot of books about writers and the writing life and writer's block. Beach Read, Writers and Lovers. Old Love Good Girls weirdly falls in that category, even though I didn't think it would. The two young women at the heart of the book both have perhaps quiet dreams and aspirations of being writers. And you will see their their relationship over the span of decades. And I found it to be really realistic in terms of who you keep in touch with in college and then maybe who you lose track of. And so this is not an idealistic or unrealistic portrayal of female friendship. Instead, I think it's really realistic about how there will be some years they don't talk at all. And then some years when they come back to one another, it's a beautiful book about friendship. I think Dearly Beloved is a book about faith at its core. I think this is a book about friendship at its core. Um, you get some epistolary stuff, um, some letters written back and forth. Overall, just a really lovely, quiet piece of literature that I thoroughly enjoyed and I'm glad I read. That's Old Love Good Girls by Gail Godwin. Highly recommend. Um, I just sold a copy to my mom. I think she's going to love it. Then I picked up Sea Wife by Amity Gage, which that's a great name. I picked up Sea Wife solely because we were selling so much of it to online. We were packaging up so many orders of it that I thought maybe I need to pick this up. And partly, so it was partly customer 
peer pressure, <laughs> which is a real thing. And then also Lauren Groff blurbed it and I couldn't believe I hadn't read it or gotten an arc of it. So I picked it up. Guys, this book is so good. And probably you already know that because you're the reason I read it. If you are seeing this book everywhere or if you're hearing about it, there is a reason. It is worth the hype. This book is all about this married couple who decide, the husband decides he wants to take his family on a sailing trip. I love books like this. I love The Perfect Storm. I love like survival stories. There was a great movie and it really was great despite, I feel like it was slightly cheesy, but it was a book with Shailene Woodley. I mean, it was a movie with Shailene Woodley. I cannot remember the name of it where she tried to sail around the world or something. I really liked that movie. Sea Wife ties into those same themes of survival. This husband wants to sail around the world with his family, his wife, and two very young children. I think they're two and four. You know immediately from the moment the book begins that something has gone wrong, and but you don't know what it is, and you don't know... Yeah, you don't really have any details at all. You just know immediately that something has gone wrong. I think the book is brilliant in the storytelling where it goes back and forth between the wife and hearing things narrated by her and in her perspective in present day, kind of thinking back to the sailing trip and then the husband's captain's log. And instead of alternating that, those voices chapter by chapter, which I think would maybe be what we as readers are used to, I actually think it's even better because it just alternates in the chapter itself. So one chapter will include both of their voices. I did not want to put this down because of that immediate unsettling feeling of knowing that something has gone wrong. You spend, it's, it's very smart because you spend as the reader the entire time desperately wanting to know what has happened. This deep sense of foreboding is kind of over the whole thing. I loved this. Think the writing is great. I said in literary lunch that it's PG. There is some language, but not enough, I think that would be too bothersome because the story is so well told. I believe that this would be a good kind of PG book. Guys, it's so good. I, it's another one that I think book clubs could enjoy. I, it's one of those that I read it and immediately was like, well, who else has read this that I can talk to about it? It's so good. Um, so it's Sea Wife by Amity Gage. Next, I read All Things Reconsidered by Knox McCoy. You guys know I love the podcast. They have been big champions of the bookshelf. And so it is always hard to review a book by someone you really like. <laughs> and I really like Knox. And I'm so grateful for the work that the podcast does. This is his new book. His book, The Wondering Years, came out, gosh, I guess two years ago. I love The Wondering Years. I stand by my love of that book. I felt very seen by that book. Um, I think that's part of the reason I loved it so much. Knox and I are both Enneagram Fives. And I think a lot of that comes out perhaps even unspoken in The Wondering Years. A lot of his grappling with his faith, um, his growing up in evangelical culture was very familiar to me. So I adored the Wandering Years, and I was very much anticipating All Things Reconsidered. This is his newest book. It is out on June 2nd. If you like The Wandering Years, you will like this book. It is more of the voice that you're familiar with and that you love. I think part of the reason I love the podcast so much is because it feels like you're listening to your really funny, um, sarcastic, witty friends, but they also talk about thoughtful things. Like these are people who think about what they're about to say. And you can see that in Knox's book. All Things Reconsidered is taking a different subject. Some of it's tongue in cheek, some of it is very sincere. Each chapter is about something different to reconsider and to take under reconsideration. So I think the premise itself is really thoughtful, particularly in a time in which, I don't know, it, it is hard 
it is hard to see and to act in the gray when so much of our world feels very divisive and black and white. So I really appreciate the the mission that Knox is on. And I really liked the tone of the book. It is his voice. It is his storytelling that I fell in love with in The Wondering Years. There were a couple of chapters in particular uh, about faith. Maybe even, I think there was a chapter about Enneagram. Weirdly, there was a chapter about raising children that I found to be very poignant and beautiful. And so if you, like me, had been, you know, keeping your fingers crossed and wondering if this one would be worth your time, it is. It is very good and very familiar. If you like the podcast, then you will like this book. I mean, that's the simplest way to say it. I, if you are not familiar with the podcast, I would start with the wondering years. That was what really made me fall in love with Knox's writing style. Um, and then move into all things reconsidered bonus points. There's also a lot of Hamilton references in this book and his afterward kind of about the reasons for that. I actually found to be equally as beautiful as, as the rest of the book, uh, if not more so. I just loved the, I loved hearing kind of the thought process behind some of what he included and why. Um, so that's All Things Reconsidered by Knox McCoy. Highly recommend out on June 2nd. It's also got a really striking cover. We were talking at the store the other day about what a great cover it has. Okay. Then I closed out the month with Christie's Big Idea by Ann M. Martin. We are doing a Babysitter's Back All Right book club that meets actually this Friday. We are meeting, gosh, once in May, twice in June, twice in July, and once in August to go over the first six books in the Babysitter's, Babysitter's Club series. We are doing this partly out of nostalgia, partly out of Netflix kind of starting a new, I believe the new show should launch this summer about the Babysitter's Club. Um, and so I think it's going to be really fun to read these. The club itself, we have 70 people. So we're kind of toying around with how we're going to do this call, but we have 70 people ranging in age. I kid you not from seven, probably I'm guessing to somebody in their forties or fifties. I'm not sure, but a lot of us are reading it for nostalgia's sake. A lot of us are reading it alongside our daughters or granddaughters. Uh, and then some daughters and granddaughters are reading it. So it's going to be really interesting and fun to have this conversation, but I read Chrissy's big idea in preparation for that. It is the first book in the babysitters club series. I obviously had read it before, um, but I had not read it in, uh, I don't know, decades. And I loved it. Lucy, Lucy and Olivia are joining me in this book club format, this book club conversation. And Lucy commented that she loved how low the stakes were. And I think that's absolutely right. Like so much right now feels high stakes, particularly when you're a business owner or gosh, if you're a healthcare worker or an educator or a parent, like I feel like the stakes are high right now. Decisions are being made that feel like they matter. <laughs> These decisions feel like they matter. And so to read a book where the conflict isn't too, um, too terribly upsetting and is resolvable was just delightful. The only problem I told Olivia was that I finished book one and immediately wanted to start book two. And I'm going to have to space them out so that I can wisely talk about them through each book club meeting. But we actually have these available in bundle format. If you want to buy the bundle of six books, those are available on our website. Um, the book club is full. We may reopen it um, once we've kind of toyed around with how many is a good number, but 70 felt like, felt like a lot for a book club. So right now the book club is full, but you can still buy the book bundles. And I would highly recommend grabbing some friends and reading them this summer. I can think truly of no more delightful summer project than that. Okay. And the last book I read this month was the Jane Austen Society by Natalie Jenner. 
I am actually recording this on Tuesday and I am finishing up the book today. I would not have picked this up were it not for Lucy's recommendation. I, the cover I think might have deterred me a little bit. That's nobody's fault. That's a personal taste thing. I think people, interestingly, my mom would have picked this one up because of the cover. So I think that's just a difference in tastes and in reading what genres we're attracted to. But I am so glad Lucy recommended it because it's a very, Olivia used the word today, charming. I think that's a great word for it. It's a very charming, sweet story um, about the group of Americans and British readers who ultimately decided to form the Jane Austen Society that took over her estate and kind of turned it into a museum that I was then able to visit last year. And I remember reading that it was readers who made that museum possible. And so it has been absolutely delightful to read this little book all about Jane Austen, the people who love her and the people who kind of kept her legacy alive in her hometown, in her village where she was from. I am able to picture so much of it in my head. It has been really fun to revisit this after going to England last year. I highly recommend it. To me, it was slow to start, but now that I'm into it, I see so many references to the Jane Austen stories themselves. The plot has even become its own kind of coupling, stories of couplings uh, that I have really enjoyed kind of that approach where at first I thought I was just reading about these people who read Jane Austen. And now I'm realizing that the writer herself, Natalie Jenner, has woven in her own kind of Jane Austen-esque and inspired storyline. So I think it's very, I think it's very well done very sweet, very charming story. Um, if you like 84 Charing Cross Road, but less bite. Um, if you like historical fiction, what is the, oh, it is the Guernsey Potato Peel. Oh my gosh, whatever the name of that book is. If you liked that book, you will love this. These very much feel in the same vein to me, same era. Yes, that's the exact comp I was trying to think of. So if you like the Guernsey Potato Peel and Literary Society. I'm so sorry. I'm, bo I'm botching that title. But if you liked that book, then you will like the Jane Austen Society. And that book actually came out this week. Whew. We did it. 14 books in May. I can hardly believe it. So many good ones. Truly not a dud among them. Um, so many good books in a, I hope, a wide range of genres and stories that I hope you will maybe pick up one or two. They're just so good. Such good summer reading available to us, which is good because we're all we're all homebound. So <laughs> if you're so inclined, be sure to tell us on Instagram what you read this month. I'm always curious and obviously very inspired <laughs> by what you're reading. So many customer orders inspired my own May reading this month. So be sure to share with us what you read in May on Instagram. Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in South Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelfteville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. Special thanks to Dylan and his team at Studio D Production for sound and editing, and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. This week, I am finishing up The Jane Austen Society by Natalie Jenner. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, you can tell us by leaving a review on iTunes, or if you're so inclined, support us on Patreon, where you can hear our staff's weekly new release Tuesday conversations, read full book reviews in our monthly Shelf Life newsletter, follow along as Hunter and I conquer a classic, we are currently in part four of Anna Karenina, and receive free shipping on all your online orders. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We are so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week. Bye.